This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. All right, everybody. We've got a special interview today. We're back with Paul Campbell, almost a year to date. A writer for Ingold Magazine, contributor to Sportsnet, The Athletic, and The Sporting News. Welcome back, Paul. Thanks very much for having me. It's, uh, it's nice to be back after a year. Lots has happened, but it seems like it's the same story, more or less. Yeah, I, I know. We're going to get into that. It, it just seems, last year we talked about John Gibson, of course, and uh, his prospects mm-hmm. for the Vesna, which unfortunately he didn't get the nomination that we were all kind of hoping for. I guess we didn't expect it because you did mention that he probably wouldn't get it even though he deserved it. But now mm-hmm. right, we're, we're talking right before the Ducks play the Minnesota Wild tonight, and they're on the verge of possibly losing 13 games in a row. Before we get to the goaltenders and John Gibson, uh, I want to know if you've, if you've taken much note of the Ducks on their 12-game losing streak, and are you surprised that Randy Carlisle is still behind the bench? Two things. Uh, first of all, it, well, I mean, uh, I'm really interested in goalies, obviously. So you look at John Gibson's save percentage before the streak and after. Before, he was the leading candidate for the Vesna Trophy and any other award that you might have. And after uh, this streak, he's, he's just taking a beating. All his statistics, uh, his basic statistics, are taking a big beating. Because when you lose games, you're letting in a lot of goals, right? So um, I haven't seen anything with his game that's changed much, um, which means that uh, the team, as you know, as a unit, is um, it's just bleeding chances and, and, and bleeding goals and not scoring. Uh, it's difficult to ride out a streak this long. Um, I think Boudreau, at the start of the season, was it? Uh, I forget which season it was, but just was they were losing and losing and losing and losing, and uh, he remained behind the bench. And then um, they they turned it around, right? And it was an, it was an excellent it was an excellent season, uh, or at least a, it was a much better season than it started. Uh, but I mean, can anyone imagine that sort of a turnaround at this point right now? Can it, I, I mean, is anyone actually waiting for them to come back and win <laughs> ten in a row? Uh, I don't know. I, I think it's I think it's wildly optimistic. Uh, but I think you have to ask too: What's the benefit right now to, of firing and rehiring? Um, are you trying to make a playoff push? Right? Uh, that would be you know maybe uh, spur the team into action. Um, you know, try to ascend the standings quickly. Uh, is that the goal right now? Uh, I don't know. Um, if it is, then th- there's no reason to wait. Um, if uh, there are other motivations in play, then um, there's there's no point in getting, getting someone in right now if, if you're not ready to hire someone. Yeah, I, I think so, because you, you make a good point. Even if you bring in a guy right now, it doesn't mean it's going to stop the losing or it's going to immediately change the direction of this team, because if you bring in a guy from the outside, then that's going to even take longer for him to implement a system and for everybody to buy in and for them to be playing the way that that coach wants them to play. And even if you go within house and you bring up Dallas Eakins, where there's a little bit of familiarity there, there's no guarantee that he's going to be able to turn it around and things are going to change because he's still got the exact same roster in front of him. The roster that just so happens to possibly be ruining John Gibson's chances at the Vesna over this streak, like you said, they have just decimated his stats. Uh, is it is it on? Like, have they ruined his chances for the Vesna? Does he still have a shot, or is it just 
out of the picture at this point. Only one goaltender hasn't made uh, the playoffs and has won the Vesna. Uh, so if you don't make the playoffs, you don't win the Vesna. The only exception was in the short season, uh, the last, that most recent sh- um, lockout short season, Bobrovsky won the Vesna and didn't make the playoffs. They lost the play. They, they were out of the playoffs on the very last day. Uh, but he had a dominant season. They gave it to him. Otherwise, no goalie who's been out of the playoffs has ever won the Vesna. So kind of like the heart. Um, the debate always is, is the best player? Is it the most valuable to his team? Is it the player who makes the playoffs who's most valuable to his team? And the Vesna tends to be voted on the same way. So if he doesn't make the playoffs, uh, the odds are, are very low. And his statistics right now, his raw statistics, um, have dipped to the level where he will be considered maybe, uh, but um, he's not putting up numbers uh, that are going to impress the, G- uh, the GMs, and they're the people who vote on these awards. And when you're saying raw raw statistics, you're meaning like the, the save percentage, the, the goals against, and the, the wins, right? That's it. You go to NHL.com and look at what they're tracking. So it's, yeah, it's, exactly. It's wins, um, goals against, save percentage, goals against average, uh, shutouts, and uh, actually games played matters too. So um, if you don't have enough games in, uh, then you're not going to be considered. You usually have to have uh, the lowest ever, I think, was just over 40. But realistically, you have to have over 50 games and preferably over 55 games to be considered uh, unofficially. And and let's talk a bit about those raw uh, stats that he has right now. Raw save percentage, he's actually ninth. So he's taken a bit of a dive because he was in the top five before the streak. He's at 91 or 918 right now. Laner's leading the Mm -hmm. league. Big comeback surprise for him. I'm a little bit shocked that he's up there at .928. Vasilevsky right behind him. The big one for me, for John Gibson, is he's dropped all the way down to 24th in goals against average at 276, and he sits 16th in wins with 16, trailing Marc-Andre Fleury by 10. So he's a bit behind in those, and we, we kind of saw this last year for sure. I mean, even when we were considering him for the Vesna, his raw save percentage was still top 10, but he wasn't near the top guys. It was Pekarine and, and Connor Hellebuck last year. Wins, he was still kind of far off of because the Ducks weren't a super competitive team. Goals against average was another issue for him last year. But same thing, Delta save percentage, when you get into the analytics here, he's first again this year at 1.86 above mm-hmm. Robin Lehner. And goals saved above average, yeah. I mean, it's just ridiculous. How far ahead he is of everybody else, and he's, in all he's he's twice as far. Like he, he it's literally double the next guy. Yeah. So I think the guy behind him has a, a has eleven goals saved above average, whereas he's at at uh, almost twenty three. It's astounding. Yeah, and exactly, he has twenty two point nine one, and 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 this is all situations. In second, it's Grice with eleven point oh six, and the only other guy above ten is Robin Lehner with ten point oh uh, ten point eight six. I mean, last year he was near the top and I think it was him and Bobrovsky are here near the top and at no point I don't think anybody was this far ahead and it's just crazy that the Ducks are a worse team he somehow stepped up his game they're allowing the league most shots uh he's at 1230 mm. shots so far in 39 games but somehow he's still putting up these performances and he's still by far when you look at the analytics the best goaltender in the league but he's just kind of getting hung out to dry with some of the raw stats yeah I, I mean Basically, if you're going to allow that, just that sheer number of chances and the quality of these shots as well is, is really good. So if you look at something like his, uh, uh, well, I mean, as you said, his delta save percentage is very high. Um, he also has the lowest expected goal uh, save percentage in the league. So if you look at Corsica, which I think is where you probably got most of these stats and where I usually look for mine, um, his um, expected save percentage is 31st. So I looked at goaltenders who had played above 1,300 minutes. 
that gave me a list of 31, which is convenient because that's how many um, uh, <laughs> you know, starters there are in the league. And uh, he was the only guy whose expected save percentage was below uh, nine. So he's expect if you're an, an average goaltender would save, uh, you know, ninety uh, percent of the shots that he faces. He's saving um, what he uh, he's saving. Uh, where's where's my number? Uh, he, he's up at a point and point and a half, almost two points uh, above that. Right with his actual save percentage, yeah. so I mean that's um, that's remarkable, right? That he's doing so much better than um, the, the shots against him and the quality of the shots against him would indicate. Uh, again, the, the problem is that's not going to be recognized. So when your raw statistics are low, that's what the general managers are looking at. And, and I mean they're still looking at wins for God's sakes, right? Uh, not even record. <laughs> uh, I, I mean the year Holtby, the year Holtby uh, won his Vesna. He had good numbers. I mean, he had a very solid season. But um, as soon as he got to uh, the, you know tying the league record in wins, he, he had he had the trophy. I would have bet my house, you know, um, if you know I'd been allowed uh, that uh, <laughs> that he would win the best trophy that year. It was an absolute certainty just based on the number of wins. So uh, when you have things like this to deal with, someone who is like him, like Luongo previously, right back when he was with Florida the first time, he was getting buried, uh, but he was doing great, right? He was thriving in that environment. Uh, um, you know, making an incredible number of saves, great saves. He would have had advanced statistics, uh, you know, amazing advanced statistics had they had them at the time, uh, but he never got recognized in, in those early years when he was really excellent uh, because of the team that was in front of him and the kind of chances they allowed him. Now, you're saying that when they're looking at, uh, you know, all those raw uh, stats, do, do have, has there been any change in the, the people who vote? Have they kind of started to look at some of maybe those underlying numbers or they just go, well, not really going to care that much about it? Or is there any sort of shift or change in thinking about it? Because uh, I, I feel like most most people see how good John Gibson is and then he, he never gets that nod. I did a look. At, I took a look at this a few years ago, actually. I think three years ago at Ingle. I think it was 2015 or something, 2014, 15. And um, I looked at the trends in how the the voting went. And early, in the early days, in the early 80s, uh, when the Vesna first shifted from goalies on the team with the least goals allowed to uh, voting for the best goalie and the best goaltending performance of the season, um, it was all about wins. Uh, shutouts mattered more early on. Uh, and the save percentage started to matter more and more. And now, basically, you can pick your uh, winning Vesna goaltender by the goalie who has more than 55 games played, or 55 or more games played, and who leads the league in save percentage. That guy almost always wins. Um, and that, that hasn't changed in about a decade. The only exceptions would be if some guy uh, wins an incredible number of games. Then that still turns the heads of the GMs enough to, 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 um, to grant that. So, I mean, every season so far that I've predicted – uh, who was going to win the Vesna uh, based on how voting patterns, uh, I've, I've been right. So that's, I, think, I think it's three or four years. So by the end of the season, it's clear who's going to win because the GMs haven't changed the way that they vote and haven't changed the criteria. Although they're unofficial, they're very consistent uh, for how they vote. And, and maybe, I don't know if this is going to be the case, but when you see GMs who are more, I guess, adept in analytics, when you look at Kyle Dubas and John Chaka, when you see more of those guys come in the league, are we going to maybe eventually see a shift where some of those stats are, matter more? I'm not saying right now that they vote this way. They could very well vote the same as some other GMs. We don't really know. But 
when you're looking at those guys who are more analytically inclined, do you think we're eventually going to see a shift where delta save percentage and goals saved above average and those underlying stats actually become a prominent figure in voting? Oh, that would be great. Um, I think once these statistics are admissible um, in something like arbitration, right? Uh, once these uh, once advanced statistics become admissible in contract negotiations and so on, I think GMs are going to pay a hell of a lot more attention to them um, uh, with regard to like you know handing out awards and, and player evaluation in total. Um, so I, I think at that point you might uh, you might see a sea change if. If the guard changes quickly enough, uh, I think one great hope for that is if teams have access to the uh, if NHL player tracking comes online, and if they know how to use it right uh, to determine sort of quality of chances against and uh, sort of um, you know whether there were passes before goals right or what kinds of passes there were right if distance yeah. of shot uh, you know accurately uh, unlike unlike now where you know it's a bit of a crapshoot and someone's manually just sort of pressing on a screen. Uh, if player tracking comes online, I think then people would pay more attention. The GMs would pay more attention, and the statistics that would be available would be far beyond what they have now. Uh, I'd like to think they would consult them, uh, and I think it's possible if it's a league-mandated and league-run thing, but I, but I, I can't say. Here's my prediction. I think all the, those GMs will finally kind of go to the analytic way, but it'll be the season after John Gibson retires. <laughs> <laughs> he's young but it's going to take a while so that, 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 might, be, that might be fair uh, um, I have one other um, sort of set of numbers that, that see uh, John Gibson really favorably this season and um, uh, I, I'm working um, occasionally with a company called ClearSight Analytics now, I don't work for them but um, sometimes they give me some of their data uh, and they have some publicly available data right now uh, on their website. Now, this, this um, ClearSight Analytics company is run by Stephen Valaket, who was a goaltender for uh, the Rangers. Um, he, was, he was a backup for much of his career, and he does broadcasting now on uh, MSM uh, for, the, for the Rangers. Um, and he and his company um, have begun, uh, they've been doing this for a couple of seasons, tracking what happens before the shot uh, uh, on goal. So they, they track pre-shot movement. So uh, if you've heard the term Royal Road, uh, those are the guys who came up with the word, uh, the term Royal Road for passes across um, the center of the ice uh, in the slot, basically. So we can also call it the slot line. Anyway, um, they track shot quality unlike anyone else because no one else keeps track of passes, um, whether a shot crosses the slot line, whether there's a lateral pass or two lateral passes before a shot and so on. Uh, and these guys uh, have John Gibson uh, first in goalie contribution, which is basically uh, goal saved above average. Right um, for these guys, and they have them up at 27.7 goals saved above, um, you know what you would have expected from an average goalie. And at this point in the season, that's absolutely bananas. Yeah. It's, it's just ridiculous. And, and I mean, we've all seen it. And uh, I mean, obviously you've seen it because we saw a tweet you put out. I think it was a week ago now, and everybody can see this. But you said John Gibson just looks tired out there. He just looks not yeah. just physically tired, but also like he is just fed up. And I think it's <laughs> it's a mix of both now because we've seen him gradually over this streak just get more and more fed up. And he's not a guy who normally gets that way. And I think there was a couple games, back-to-back games the Ducks had where they lost in overtime, and it was two cross-crease passes where it was a two-on-one, and he just stood there. It was one, I think it was Arizona, where Clayton Keller faked him out with a shot, completely froze him, and it was a cross-crease pass in the back of the net. And then the next game after that, same thing. And after that, when he just puts his hands up in there, he's like, what am I supposed to do? I'm done. And, I mean, at this point, what, what, what more can he do? Because he's just... 
he's exhausted out there. You're right. Um, I actually have uh, ask me for these uh, when you see me online at some point, but I have clips of him looking up at the clock. Uh, like, <laughs> when is this going to end? Uh, like, literally, I, I'll, I'll send it to you. He is like, so a flurry happens in his end as it does. And he's just, you know, he's moving left, right, left, right, up, down, up, down. And then um, they get possession and, you know, they, they flip the puck out. And before the puck is out of the zone and before the camera pans out, you see him just looking up and, like, kneeling on one knee. And then, in the, and then earlier in that play, you saw him, the puck went in the corner. And it wasn't controlled by anyone. But instead of being, like, on his post in a, in a like, light-ready stance, he's just standing there. Like, he's working out his <laughs> neck. Um, and and uh, this, is, this, is, uh, this is last season. But these are the kinds of things that happen when you're, like, you're, you're exhausted and you have to try to find a way to, like, stay focused and conserve energy. Uh, it's not optimal play, but, uh, I mean, every goalie gets gassed. And if you're getting gassed on a nightly basis like that and you're playing this many games, you've you got to find a way to cope. And it looks like his is just, just standing there sometimes uh, when, you, when, you need, when you need to take a breath, even when the play might not dictate that in a normal situation. He's a pretty laid-back guy to begin with, and, and you don't really see the frustration from him, so maybe I guess that's how he lets it out, is just to, to kind of be a little bit lazy at times, which, I mean, he deserves it. it it's amazing that you can see he is tired, but he's still putting up these ridiculous mm-hmm. numbers and, and pacing the league and, and really everything for goaltenders this year. Um, the one argument, we asked you this last time, and I want to know if your your mm-hmm. position has changed on it, but it is a, it's still going on in, on in Ducks Twitter and everywhere on social media. It's probably going to go on forever gibson versus anderson <laughs> and frederick anderson was having he still is but he was having a very good season before he got hurt and he was up there with john gibson and i think nhl.com or somebody did a poll uh, i think it was of the gms yeah, or, or that's right. where yeah where they looked at who the best of favorites was and anderson just nudged out gibson i think he had 64 points and john gibson had 62 votes and that set everybody off, of course, because it's both of them and they're linked together forever. But do you think the Ducks still made the, the best decision keeping Gibson over Freddie? Yes. Um, uh, Gibson's younger, and I think he's better. Um, he doesn't play the puck as well. Uh, uh, however, you're, you're giving up a little bit and you're getting an awful lot. Uh, I think, I think it, you keep either goaltender, uh, you're in good shape. Um, but if you have a choice... You pick the younger guy who maybe has a little bit more upside. Uh, technically, I like I like Anderson's game a lot. Um, I, I think he's a technically sound goaltender. Um, he, he's in his head sometimes. He's done some things over his career that is just uh, that it, that's caused like a total month of a season to get to get bombed out to get totally lost. Like yeah. let's play with my depth. Oh well, I'm going to have a save percentage that's below 880. Well, maybe I'll, I'll go back to the way it was. Great, fixed it. I'm going to have a nearly uh, nearly best worthy season. So he's done some things like that, but um, just a very solid goal. Even right now, I'm looking at his stats. He's running a 922 uh, with 31 games played. And in some seasons, you wouldn't think he'd have the number of starts you need to really be a, a qualifier. But so many of the top save percentages, save percentages this year are from guys who have played 24, 25 games, right? Less than 30 games. So he's going to get a lot of wins, right? And uh, he, he, he's a, I think he's going to get more votes at this point, certainly, than, than Gibson would. Uh, right now. That being said, I still think Gibson was the right choice. 
All right. Um, since the uh, the NHL, I mean, the, the players, they've, they've gotten so much faster and younger and definitely more creative in how they're shooting and setting up plays. Uh, what's the biggest change uh, in the goalie's approach to compete with that? I mean, what, what have they kind of started to implement into their games that maybe helps combat that quickness? That's a great question. Well, um, I mean, mostly they failed. So if you look at um, save percentage this year uh, or even last year, uh, it's down three points, right? Three ticks. So that's significant. Uh, for a few seasons there, it was pre- it was like around 915, 914, 915, 915, 915. Then, um, and then last year it took a nice dip uh, because you're starting to see these guys, as you just said, right? Who are coming into the league who have had skills coaches their whole lives, right? Who are able to go, um, you know, east-west, and, and play that kind of game. You know, the enforcer, right, has died. And so now you're getting four skill lines, you know, when teams can, can have that many guys who can, who can go. Uh, and, and so basically goaltenders are, are failing now, and uh, more than they ever have, which is good for hockey, uh, as far as I'm concerned, even though go- some goaltenders are, are, are upset about it. Uh, you're seeing time-tested strategies um, get exposed like they'd ever have before. So... Um, goaltenders drop into positions like VH and RVH, which is positions that are intended to block on bad angle shots. And you're seeing forwards now who can come and take the tiny little bit of space that the goaltenders given them in these blocking positions and shoot in it. Uh, and not just the superstars anymore, but if you give you know a second liner, uh, uh, if you go down in your RVH a little bit too early, and there's a second liner coming in on you and sees you do that and, and, and has a clear shot, they're going to they're gonna score. Right? They're going to pick that hole. And that's going to happen more and more and more. And, and so the goaltenders who are going to thrive are the goaltenders who are able to um, break out of the mold that they've created um, and uh, break out of the box often that a goaltender gets caught in that sort of blocking and, and just stopping mentality. And a goaltender is able to um, you know, um, react and read uh, the play uh, when necessary. Uh, this is why this is why Gibson's so effective. Um, technically, you might look at his game and think, well, he he's not uh, a crisp and precise goaltender all the time. Uh, however, his ability to read a play and react uh, to a changing play and to a dynamic play is just excellent. Uh, and that's that's why he's he's doing so well. That's why he's been stood in such good stead. Uh, even though shooters are getting better, he, he's been able to adapt uh, because he's never relied on a set. Um, what a uh, blocking based game uh, that um, you know can be can be picked apart uh, uh, when when a shooter understands what the percentages are and, and tries to uh, you know and tries to game against that. Yeah, uh, you know, me playing goalie—that's the hardest thing I have—is when they shoot from extreme angles because it's just awkward. It's it's not what you see ninety percent, ninety-five percent of the time. So I'm mm-hmm. surprised more players don't just you know uh, on extreme angles just throw it. You know, either try and score a goal, and even if you don't, it tends to hit the goalie and bounce out, and they can't really you know glove it or, or secure it properly, and that can lead to you know um, some hectic play in front that could lead to more goals. Um, one of the other things I was uh, interested in is how many goalies uh, are embracing a head trajectory uh, with their, you know, adding that to their skill set. Because I felt like that was kind of a big thing a couple of years ago, especially if uh, you mentioned James Reimer. I know that he was really big on that. Mm-hmm. And if that's something that you're going to see a lot more goalies, are they already all practicing that? Well, um, let's see. So uh, as, as far as I know, 
some goaltenders have really um, they've tried to uh, adopt it, and uh, a lot of how well they're able to do it depends on who their goalie coach is, right? Whether the mm-hmm. team is willing to sort of opt into the opt into this. Um, it, it's it's sort of a it's sort of a whole uh, system, right? Um, you know of of uh, you know of of uh, it's like a system, a uh, goaltending philosophy. Uh, there's a lot that goes into it. I mean, as, as far as I know, and you're seeing goaltenders um, adopt it, but uh, it's it's not as simple as sort of sort of watching the puck, right? Or like you know, mm-hmm. looking at the puck in a certain way. There's a whole system that goes that goes along with it. And unless a goaltender has trained specifically, right, with someone who knows what they're doing and is sort of able to coach that, uh, you're not you're not getting it. So I think we're seeing goaltenders adopt some of those principles. And I think we're seeing some of the basic principles of head trajectory filter throughout the league as uh, people pick up bits and pieces of what it is. But I don't think we've yet seen um, a crop of goaltenders who have grown up doing this and who just know this as the way, right? Uh, And I think, as you mentioned earlier, when you talked about shooters, right, who were developing um, interesting new skills and skills coaches and so on, uh, I think you'll start to see that with goaltending uh, when goaltenders have sort of grown up uh, knowing sort of the, the, the basic tenets of, of head trajectory, uh, whereas right now I don't think we're there. Mm-hmm. All right. You had uh, also, you know, said earlier with, you know, goal scoring, uh, goal scoring finally up in the NHL. Uh, do you believe it's that the fact that the goalie gear uh, was the issue since it's been reduced or has it really been more of the player's speed, skill and maybe youth creativity that's been the bigger factor? I have to say B. Um, last year, the pants shrunk partway through the season, and the the splits were were sort of uh, they didn't say anything, right? Um, uh, scoring didn't go up after the pants got smaller, or you know, there's no significant difference in save percentage or scoring once the, the goalie's pants shrunk. Uh, and but but last year, save percentage was its lowest in several years. I, I think it dropped sort of three points from something like nine fourteen to nine eleven. So why did that happen, right? It wasn't because mm-hmm. uh, the goaltender gear got smaller in that matter. Um, people also forget goaltending gear has been shrinking since uh, the first lockout, uh, um, since about 2004, 2005. So pads have got smaller incrementally. Right? The pads, uh, if you look at a picture of Garth Snow from the uh, 90s, uh, he looks like he's wearing lacrosse shoulder pads. Um, if you look at a picture <laughs> of Curtis Joseph from the early 2000s, He's wearing he's wearing pads so high. Uh, I don't know if he needs pads. Uh, and and uh, I, I watched him play in that era. I went and saw him in uh, in Bordeaux. And um, Joseph at that time he was a great goalie his whole life. But at that time um, he basically looked unbalanced, and he was just sort of falling over right to make saves and laying down uh, because that's how you know that's how you could play at that point. Uh, okay. And so that's been being uh, retrenched ever since. Uh, things are shrinking, shrinking. And this season, there's a lot of focus on it because uh, the chest protector changed. And that's a really sort of intimate uh, piece of equipment. Goalies don't change it every year. Like you change your gloves a few times a season. You have uh, several pairs on the go at once. But your chest, you tend to keep for, for years, for seasons. So goaltenders did have to go through an adjustment period. And I think that might have made a difference. However, um, to believe that... Um, Decreasing the surface area by, by so little, and it really is a very small overall reduction, uh, led to this increase in scoring. I just can't see it. I think the way the game is played has changed enough in the last two or three seasons that we're starting to see the, uh, the benefits of that. And, and philosophies have changed as well. So coaches 
have started to go for um, speed, have started to go east-west, right? Have stopped uh, um, heading into a sort of a, you know, an opponent's rank or, or you know, people coming to their rank, and they're going to just cycle and cycle and cycle and cycle and, and pound, like the, like the Ducks had been known for. Uh, that game is sort of moving away. Teams are moving away from that game. And uh, <laughs> the teams that are still stuck in that uh, are, are having a harder time competing. So I think that yeah, is ducks. the reason. We're, yeah, with that reason, we're, um, we're seeing the, the increase in scoring and the decrease in, the, in, in save percentage. There's one guy I, I want to talk about that the Ducks have seen a couple times this year in the division with the Calgary Flames is David Riddich. Now, mm-hmm. taking a big step forward from last year, but uh, you know, and you look at some of the uh, raw stats that he has, he's not doing too great. He's not horrible. 917 save percentage, 2.5 goals against average, and 17 wins. The record's very good. The underlying stats at 5v5 yeah. are really good, but... Is it the team? Because Calgary is scoring uh, at a rate they're second best in the league right now. Now, is it a mix of both? Has David Riddich really taken a step forward? Well, what's what's going into play there? He's certainly taken a huge step forward. Um, you know, he hasn't played that many games. I think he's up to twenty. He's up to twenty-five games yet. But I mean, look uh, at Mike yeah. Smith in Calgary right now. Yeah, I mean, look at Mike Smith in Calgary. Uh, they were playing behind the same team. Uh, Smith's a great puck handler, so I mean that he has that on his side, and yet he is languishing. He is not having a good time there at all. So, um, why, you know, why is Riddich so much better? I, I, I can't attribute that to the team. Um, he's just playing, you know, what up to now would have been considered out of his mind. Um, I, I'm looking at the ClearSet Analytics page right now, and right now they have Dave Riddich uh, ranked number two in uh, a sort of delta save percentage, in sort of a, a save percentage above what you'd expect. Yeah. And that indicates to me that he's not just stopping muffins from the outside. Uh, he is, um, you know, based on the best measure of shock, shock quality that I know, he's um, outperforming expectations beyond um, all but one other goaltender in the league. Uh, and you know, that, that's astounding. I mean, yeah, full credit to him. Uh, whether he can maintain it is another question, but up to now you have to give full credit for um, the performance that he's put on. And one guy I want to mention, because there was a lot of hype around him this year, question marks if he would actually make the team, and then obviously did because of injuries, and we're talking about Carter Hart with the Philadelphia Flyers. Uh, Brian Elliott mm-hmm. went down, Michael Neuvers went down, I think even Mike McKenna went down, and then Carter Hart got called up and played. Wasn't having a great year with Lay Valley in the AHL. We all know his numbers in the WHL where he's just putting up ridiculous numbers, save percentage goals against average mm-hmm. wins. He was just killing it. Um, he's had a mixed bag. He's been pretty good so far with the Flyers. What what have you thought of him, and have you kind of thought he's lived up to the hype that people put on him? Um, I, I honestly thought that no goaltender, no young goaltender, you know, um, uh, with, with no professional ex- or very little professional experience, I should say, uh, would have a chance to live up to the hype. Uh, that, I mean... I remember seeing on Twitter that, that he was starting the, you know, here he is, right? Carter Hart. And, and people were sort of like in awe, right? His, there was a picture of his mask, right? And there was his name plate right below it in the locker. And like, 500 retweets. I mean, it was just uh, the Messiah, right? I mean, people in Philadelphia, oh, uh, Flyers fans are waiting for a goalie Messiah because they've been in the desert for so long. Uh, and they're, they're hoping this kid is it. So, no, no one can live up to that expectation. The fact that he's doing pretty well right now, uh, really well right now, I should say, um, is a testament to, um, well, uh, I, I, uh, his ability, right? Um, his, um, you know, he, uh, obviously he's able to handle this pressure, uh, you know, that, that, that's been put on him. Um, and his team is, is, is doing their best. 
there was one there was one picture that I remember seeing. Um, I think it's from his first or second start, where you have um, four people, like four flyers, all converging to block a shot. And, and that right there said a lot to me, right, about what he means to, yeah. to this team. So regardless of what he's going to turn out to be or how well he's playing himself, what he means to this team, not only to the fans, but to the players in front of him, is an awful lot. And he's become a rallying point um, for for that organization. Uh, and when it shows both in the stands and on the ice, uh, the actions of the of the fans and the players, then that really means something. So, you know, yeah. God bless him. Uh, I don't know if he could ever live up to what he's expected to do, but, he, but he's doing great so far. Yeah, the biggest rallying point behind Gritty this season for the Flyers. Mm-hmm. Pretty much. No uh, question. I, you, can't, you can't compete with Gritty. The one thing I got to ask too about Carter Hart is, um, I, you know, I, I don't really know, and I, I, I don't really know how many times it's happened. But how difficult is it for a kid that's playing in his first professional season with the AHL to have to come up and get thrust into a position where he is the starter? I mean, he's only twenty. Like how? How hard is it for a 20-year-old? I mean, we know for forwards it's a little bit different, but for goalies, I mean, they don't generally start getting in and playing well until mid-early 20s, and he's already, like, just turned 20 this year, and he's already playing very well. How difficult is that? There's almost no basis for comparison. Yeah, I think people understand goalies, uh, unfortunately, in some cases. Uh, goaltenders are actually really good sometimes when they're 22 years old, 23 years old, right? Mm-hmm. Um, however, there are only 60 jobs really in the, or 62 jobs in the league yep. and getting one of those jobs is really difficult. Some of those jobs suck. So if you're going to be getting 10 starts or 15 starts a season behind Freddie Anderson, you probably don't, um, you probably don't want a really highly touted goalie prospect who's 20 years old to be only, you know, starting that many games, right? Uh, if you look at someone like UC Soros in, uh, Nashville and, you know, his, his development has been very gradual, uh, despite him. Uh, you know, being very capable in the starts that he's got. And so he was shuttling back and forth right, between the AHL and NHL for a while to get starts. Uh, so, I mean, this is almost uncharted territory. Uh, I think you're going to st- see this more and more as um, older goaltenders, goaltenders who have been good for many years, um, start to have a harder time with the way the league is going. Um, I think more jobs at the top are going to become available more quickly. Uh, the goaltenders who can't adapt are going to be sort of moved out. And you're going to see a crop of younger goaltenders start to start to take over, and I think people are going to start to see goalie development differently. That actually leads perfectly into my next question for you: Was uh, we're all kind of familiar with that old guard of goaltending, the the, the Lundqvist, the Jonathan Quicks, the Corey Crawfords, the guys who the names that have been around for quite some time, but are kind of getting up there and kind of fading a little bit. Uh, who are your mm-hmm. picks for the goalies of the future that are in the NHL today? That's a great question. Um, I, I think my my favorite guy right now is UC Soros. Um, I, I just talked about him. I just wrote about him. Uh, he is uh, a remarkable technical goaltender. Uh, if you want to know how to do something, if you're you know you're watching at home and you're a goalie, you're like, how, how should I how should I execute that play? Uh, just do what he's doing, if you can. And I think that's um, that's maybe the challenge, right? Um, being able to sort of raise your game to the level where you can make the kinds of decisions and the save selections that he does. Uh, and uh, make that uh, make that work for you. Um, otherwise, there aren't a whole lot of other. Um, oh, um, Dismiss in uh, Pittsburgh is uh, is playing uh, lights out. In fact, he's he he could be in uh, you know Vesna consideration um, this season. Uh, I, I don't know if that's going to be a long lasting 
if he's going to, um, you know, break and become the goaltender of the future there. Uh, because Matt Murray is, you know, already sort of the goaltender of the future there, or at least has been. Uh, but that's another guy certainly to watch. Um, one guy I've been fascinated by is uh, uh, Bennington, uh, who's come in and, in, uh, in uh, where is he, St. Louis, and has just done a remarkable job in, uh, you know, in, in trying circumstances, right, in, in very limited starts. So um, there are a lot of um, young up-and-comers who are just sort of see like getting a taste of what life is like in the league, largely because of injury, uh, and who are um, sort of seizing the chance or making the most of their opportunity. So there's a lot of hockey left to be played, uh, but we're going to finish this the same way we finished last time we had you on the show. It was a little bit later in the season, obviously, but we know this question is a bit two-sided, so we're going to ask who are your three finals for the Vesna. I know there's a two different ways you can go with this, and who do you think they'll nominate, and who would you nominate? So I know you answered both of those ways last time, so who do you think they'll nominate based on how they normally vote? So right now, it looks like it's a toss-up for me uh, in first place, depending on how the season plays out. So um, it's going to be Vasilevsky and Anderson. Um, their save percentage is really high. They're going to have a lot of wins behind those teams. And even though Vasilevsky high in starts because, uh, because of the early season injury, um, he is um, he's going to continue to be a front-runner if he keeps his numbers up. So I think maybe Vasilevsky won. Anderson too, uh, and that could reverse right if, if Vasilevsky's numbers dip or if Anderson gets an incredible number of wins. Um, so they're one two, uh, and then the third spot, I don't know, um, could be Leonard if he's uh, if he keeps it up if he gets enough starts. Uh, so basically, Grice has more games played than him. It looks like Leonard's taken over, but uh, if they tandem, then he he's not gonna he's not gonna be able to uh, move into that position. Ben Bishop has been a, a has been a surprise. Uh, I mean, not not a surprise in that everyone knows he's a good goaltender. But um, if that team can make the playoffs, they have he, he has a shot at a nomination. And and rounding out my top what five or six, uh, Gibson, if they make the playoffs, uh, has a good crack at a nomination. Even though unless his uh, you know wins uh, somehow turn around a lot, he, he's not going to be uh, at the front of the pack. And then who um, would now, you nominate yeah. then? Yeah. Um, as far as like the most deserving. Uh, right. Right now, I'm I'm putting Gibson on the top of the list. Uh, if if he can get some support at some point and uh, sort of take uh, you know get and get his numbers back into the like, the nine in his raw save percentage, say back into the nine twenties, he's going to have a legitimate shot at an actual nomination. But even as it's the best I have, pretty clearly at the top of goaltender performance this season. So I'd still have him ranked number one. And number two, I want to put Leonard and Grace together as the <laughs> Vezina Trophy winner. So for the first time since like 1982 or something or 81, I want to I want to have a shared Vezina um, winner. So that that could be them in, in second spot. <laughs> and then the the rest is close. But Halak, uh, he's he's dipped a bit lately, so I'm concerned about that. But Halak has put up numbers right now that have been just um, excellent, uh, some of the best of his career certainly, and it's definitely worthy of a, of a nomination. So. The, my list and, and the um, sort of uh, official list, I guess, this year don't look that different, uh, but it's because some things are, are converging that, that don't always converge. Um, uh, although I might have flipped the, flipped the order a little bit. 
Bro, well, you're making a lot of Ducks fans happy with uh, the Gibson nod. <laughs> Unfortunately, uh, if the Ducks don't turn it around, they're probably going to ruin his Vesna hopes, just like I guess they kind of did last year a little bit, and John Gibson didn't pick up enough wins. But once again, Paul, we appreciate you having on the show. Uh, anything you want to uh, promote before you go? I know we had a couple things last year, so anything you want to get out there? Sure. Um, Ingle Magazine has a new podcast uh, coming out that's been out. Um, there's a pre-episode, then there's episode one. Um, and so you can look at the um, Ingle Radio, and you can look, look it up anywhere you find podcasts. And uh, I'm not on it yet, but my boss is. And uh, the first um, the first real episode has uh, Roberto Luongo, uh, who is sort of the main interview subject, and that's just fascinating. Yeah, uh, and also Darren Millard is uh, one of the hosts, um, you know, the main host of, of that podcast. So He's obviously um, always worth listening to. And if you're going to check something out and you're going to get into a new podcast, uh, that's a, a fantastic one to, to check out for now. All right, perfect. Well, thanks again, Paul, for coming on. Make sure you guys go check out, was it Ingle Radio, uh, the new podcast? A, a, that's right. A great, great interview always with Roberto Luongo. That would be great. Uh, make sure you go follow <laughs> yeah. Paul on Twitter at way to go paul and to check out Ingle Magazine. Thanks again for coming on, Paul. Great. Thanks very much.